This is Tara Grenoved with the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, powered by Align, and this is episode 11. We are really excited to bring you part two of our conversation with Dr. Ashley Lang on the leadership challenges of having team members from different generations. In today's episode, we continue the conversation on the difference between how different generations view worse as it relates to work, how to approach cross-generational mentorships, and how to navigate the very tricky dynamic of younger generations seeming to expect promotion, pay, and title maybe before older generations believe they've earned it, and how do we navigate that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one of this conversation, you're going to want to go back and listen to episode 10, and we think you're going to love today's conversation. If you are loving the podcast, can you do us a favor? Would you go to the platform you listen to and leave us a rating or a review? We would be so grateful. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Lang. Welcome to the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, where everyone is a leader and leadership starts with you. I'm Tara. And I'm Pamela. Thank you for listening and inviting us along on your leadership journey. Welcome back for part two of our conversation with Dr. Ashley Lang on generations in leadership in the workplace. We are thrilled to have Ashley back for a second, a part two of this important conversation around the generational differences in leadership and how we navigate that so that we can have healthy cultures and work towards success together. Just a quick reminder, Dr. Ashley Lang has nearly two decades of experience in higher ed, leadership, retail, and marketing. She's the founder and influencer of strategic growth at Gold Digger, and she is on the Align coaching staff as well, and we're thrilled to be able to partner with her on a regular basis. She is uniquely qualified to talk on this topic. Her thesis was researching millennials who supervise baby boomer subordinates in the workplace. She also is a, an adjunct professor for the online leadership master's program at Wartburg College. Welcome back, Ashley. Thanks for having me again. We're thrilled to continue the conversation. I think Pamela and I are still chewing on a lot of the things that came up in our first conversation. Can I pop in here? I just have to say, I'm just really grateful that I get to be on a coaching team with somebody who has the background that you do. And if you haven't listened to part one, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that. And one of the questions I wrote down early in part one that we didn't get back to and where I think would be a good place to start is you mentioned that one of the differences between generations was a difference in how we identify with our self-worth as it relates to work. Mm -hmm. And boomers and Gen X to a higher degree tend to get more of their self-worth through their work. Millennials tends to be more purpose than work-driven. And then Gen Z tends, and these are generalizations, right? But they tend yeah. to not see their identity tied or their self-worth tied with their work. And I'm curious about the differences in that and what has led to that? And I also noticed that Gen X and boomers tend to get a little offended when other people don't maybe take their work as seriously, and I'm saying that in air quotes, yeah. as they do. 
Yeah. So if you listen back at part one, when I talked about some of the worldview, that perspective, I think a lot of it comes from that, right? So when we think about baby boomers, it was like, no, you have to work hard. You have to put in the effort. You have to get things done. Like that's what they were taught based on growing up in times of war. So when I think about the idea of suburbia, leave it to beaver, like you want to have that perfect little family. And, and so there's transition there. And when you go back to the Gen X, they also want some of the balance of work and family. And I think that comes from the baby boomers who didn't have that. So they saw what someone wasn't doing. And then they're like, no, I want to even that out a little bit more. And so it's almost in my mind, it's learning based on what happened in those previous generations. And no, I don't want that. Or yes, that seemed like a heavy life to have. So it's almost fed that way. As I was thinking about it too, I think about if your parents or your grandparents are baby boomers and you're a millennial or a Gen Z and what you've taken from that and learned from that is absolutely where some of this is. I don't feel like I want to be tied to my work all the time. I want to be driven by purpose and I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's definitely, I think, where some of that transition has come from. Yeah. So Ashley, you are a millennial. And uh, we also talked in part one about some of your strengths. We were talking about worth and value. So for you specifically, how has that, since you began in all of your higher ed, your pursuit of getting your doctorate, has that shifted at all based on maybe that individualization of, of working for something of a personal goal and now working in different teams? Has there been a little bit of a focus shift or has that value or worth shifted from maybe where it originally started to maybe how you see it now? I think that I didn't recognize probably early on that's what was driving me was that I wanted to have an impact. And so I just felt maybe unhappy or not successful in what I was doing and that it probably just wasn't the right fit It's in my mind, whatever fit was meaning at that point. And so I do think about, I worked for Macy's headquarters in textile design. I sat at a computer by myself all day. It made me crazy. And I couldn't figure out why, because I was like, this is what I went to school for. Why do I not enjoy this? And then eventually, as I started to transition into other roles, I was like, huh, why do I really like this? And it really actually wasn't until I probably took the Clifton Strengths Assessment and started to have some of my higher ed experience. So going back to school that I learned those things about myself. And so that's something that I think that self-awareness piece, while work isn't necessarily tied to my identity, the the purpose behind what I'm doing really is there because it ties strongly to my significance. And it wasn't even probably until recently that I had that moment I shared in, in part one that significance hasn't always been that strength that stood out to me. It was that outlier. Oh gosh, I don't want to be seen as that. But as I've started to own it as, yeah, it's really about me doing things for other people to help other people move along in their process that I've been able to do that for myself too. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely. I also want to just say then with those millennials and Gen Zers that are in the workplace, how do we help them discover that or for those younger leaders foster even bringing that significance into a culture that perhaps really, perhaps is stuck in an old an old vision of just task oriented getting it done? But yet I want to have more of an impact. I want it to impact me more personally and what I value. 
how do I shift that and bring that even as a millennial leader into the culture where, where I am so that it isn't just about ticking off tasks, but about making it significant for the people who are there. Yeah, I think there's a combination of things you can do. One of the things that comes to mind, especially if you're thinking about trying to get like baby boomers and Gen X maybe on board with that idea, is first we have to acknowledge and listen and make those folks feel valued that what they are contributing is bringing value, right? So listening to their stories, their processes, their traditions, whatever it is, and then saying, okay, now I'm going to take from this or take pieces of this and say, this is the direction we're going. Or So you can't just say, nope, we're going to focus on not just ticking the boxes. We're going to say we have to have passion and excitement and genuine belief in what we're doing and be fulfilling our purpose because they're going to say, okay, then I'm out. I don't understand how that works or what that looks like for me. So you kind of have to ease into it, I think, with you still have to acknowledge that what they're doing is appropriate and right and there's value there. But then now, what is the value that these folks are bringing, these younger folks, and how can we mesh that in the workplace? Yeah, I think part of what you're talking about there actually is integrating, because I think often we get into this black or white tug of war around the old versus the new. And this happens with any change in the workplace. And we Absolutely. all see this with any change in the workplace. But I think specifically generationally, then it becomes more about my self-worth is getting thrown away because I'm so identified with the way it was not just the process, but now it's about me and what I've contributed. And so now it's personal and we're going to dig our feet in more around that as opposed to coming alongside maybe the younger generations to say, here's what we've done. Let's figure out what still works, what is still relevant and what isn't anymore. And can you adapt your process or your approach to be more relevant? But it's threatening, I think, for some older leaders. Absolutely. And especially as baby boomers feel as though more they just need to stay in the workplace because they need to make money or their reasons for staying aren't necessarily because they want to be there or they have a fear of their legacy isn't going to be left because people are just going to make a change as soon as they're out. So a lot of it goes to that. So if we give them time to give their perspective, give their opinion, their thoughts, then I find that... It's a little bit easier also than having maybe the younger generations just trial and error and do the same trial and error that basically the baby boomers have experienced and lived through multiple times. And they're like, I don't get it. Why are you wasting your time? So if we just take a little bit of time, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but to make them feel heard and seen, then I think you're going to be all in a better place because there's some kind of connection and relationship building happening too. So you used a really big word there. I'm going to come back on their feelings word <laughs> to, oh. make, to make them feel heard and valued. And really from both perspectives, because depending on what generation we're with, that feeling heard or being acknowledged and feeling valued can look different. So I would love to get really practical and granular if you have any ideas on how to help someone feel heard to identify for those who aren't the feelers or who can't bring it forward into the workplace quite as much, or they're not given permission to do that. So I'll let you take it from here. Jeez, oh, you and your words, Pamela, it gets me every time. Gosh, no, I think for each generation, it's probably going to be different, but each individual, because it boils down to more than just being able to generalize how you make someone feel. 
as you, both of you know, the word nurture scares me. But I think that some more nurturing needs to happen with maybe a few generations than maybe other generations. But I think that could also look like, why aren't we using the baby boomers and maybe allowing them to nurture some of our younger generations or mentor or being able to give feedback to each other or have conversations. I think what happens is we classify people into these generations and then we make assumptions about what they need because of that. And that's where a lot of the problems lie is those assumptions are being made based on an entire generation that we don't even know that 46 to 64 is completely accurate to label them. or But then all these people suddenly have this, or we assume they're a boomer because they do X, Y, and Z. So this is where you have to get down to the nitty gritty, I think, and say, what do they need as a person to feel seen, heard, and valued? What does that mean? What does that look like? Because for me, it may just be the opportunity to speak in a meeting and share my input. But for them, maybe they want to tell a story about the experience or the history of the project or whatever it might be. That's how they feel like they can contribute. Or Gen Z might just be like, no, you need to tell me exactly what to check off in the box or whatever. So I think that's where you have to build that connection further to really understand what each person needs rather than that broad, here's what we can do for this group. I think it's a really good point, Ashley, and it's where strengths can be so helpful. So to customize rather than make assumptions based on generations. So we're talking about generations. You, because people are feeling the differences, they are experiencing the differences. But when it comes to tactics around actually making changes so that you have a more cohesive culture and working environment, strengths can really help bridge some of those gaps. You just said a couple of things that are really important around mentoring. And I know, Pamela, you said in episode one, we want to come back and talk about mentoring. So I'd love to hear from both of you because you both have worked in this space around mentoring. How do you bridge or how do you approach the concept of mentoring in a multi-generational workforce without it being awkward? So I want to mentor you. Maybe I don't want to be mentored by you. Or I see some young people really craving mentorship, but not knowing how to go about getting it. How do you start that in, in the workplace? So I'd love to take that from the mentor perspective first, because of course we are all busy people and our schedules are filled with slots of things that we already have on our radar. So if someone is going to come to me to ask for mentoring, I do really want to know what their goals are for that mentoring time. Here's what I'm looking for. Is it monthly? Is it a couple times a month? This is the area that I'm looking to be mentored in, which is if someone said to me, I see your strength being in this area and this is where I really want to grow. And so I will come with a list of questions or I will pre-send you a list of questions so that will make this meeting time most effective. And I really want to do this in person or it will be on a video chat that there's really some parameters that are honoring and guidelines for me there. That's what is going to make me free up time in my schedule, especially as a leadership mentor for this person. I'm also in the faith realm. And in that realm for me, that's a very different curiosity and time space given. But for leadership, what I just shared is what I am looking for. And then I'm much more relaxed after that because I do want it to be relational. 
yes, we can have agenda items, but I want to know you as much as you are looking to know what things drive me. Then it becomes much more that opportunity to have relationship once we get it on the schedule, but to get it on the schedule, that's really what I need from you. I love that you have expectations. That's huge. I think even when I'm talking to people maybe who need to be mentored and telling them what they should expect of a mentor, but then in turn, what a mentor is going to expect of them. And so I often find myself, especially with emerging leaders, having that conversation about what both sides should look like rather than just saying you need to be mentored. (laughs) Because a lot of times what happens is I think in mentoring, we make these assumptions that so-and-so is our mentor, but that person has no idea that they are your mentor. And yes, those things can happen organically, but if there's intentionality behind me saying, hey, Pamela, would you be willing to mentor me? Then there's opportunity to ask, okay, what specifically are you looking for to be mentored in, right? Because it's not going to be all of life of everything. It might be specifically in leadership at your work or whatever. But I also, yeah, have specific topics and things that someone's trying to work on or grow within. And that's usually how I recommend someone specific to be their mentor. But I like to have kind of those expectations on both sides because without that, I think it is just a relationship. And not just, but it's more about finding the connection and it takes work to make those connections. Yeah, it does. And I also want to say it's really helpful if you could say for the next six months, I would love to meet with you once a month or twice a month. Again, we don't have unlimited capacity for endless amounts of times. And then we can say, let's reevaluate after six months to see where we are at and and what that looks like moving forward. And the more that I can have a very clear understanding of where a start and a stop is, the more likely that I am to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I love that you're both talking about it being a mutual investment. So you're both coming in, but I think with any mentorship or coaching relationship, and the three of us are coaches, but we also coach leaders how to be coaches. And it really does take that intentionality, managing of expectations, but it takes someone who wants to be coached, who wants to be mentored on the other side of it. So I see sometimes leaders saying, I really want to mentor this person, but that person may not really accept it or receive it in the way that it's intended. And so having a more intentional conversation rather than it being this kind of subversive thing that we're trying to do to quote unquote, help someone, I think is important. Actually, the other dynamic that I see that we've talked about a few times in episode one and and here in part two of this is there seems to be an expectation from Gen Z and somewhat from millennials too, that you, meaning leader, owner, organization are going to invest in me and I'm going to get to move up quickly as a result. And then there's an expectation on the other side boomer, Gen X, sometimes millennial, you're going to put in the work and earn the opportunities to move up. And there's a bit of a push-pull dichotomy there that I see a lot in workplaces of younger people expecting to get the opportunities faster than they're getting them. Mm -hmm. Older generations being frustrated that they're not putting in their dues, they're not earning it, and really wanting to be put in a place of authority or responsibility before they've shown that they have the skills to handle it. So can you speak to that dynamic a little bit? 
Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that because I think one of the things that immediately came to mind was psychological safety. And I recently was having a conversation with some higher ed folks about this and there's layers to psychological safety. And one of the pieces is once you're labeled or named as a part of this organization or this group, there should be an automatic acceptance of the person and whatever they're bringing to the group. But then in later levels of that connection and relationship and that feeling of being safe, there should be opportunity that you have to prove yourself and your worth and your value that you're bringing by the things that you're doing. So it's multi-layered and we're not using it in that way. I think that we have it the one or, or the other that either you are proving yourself or because the baby boomers and Gen X are more like results oriented and wanting this, I think that's where it comes from, right? That's we need to check the box. We need to achieve. We need to say it's done. And while we might have a lot in the younger generation that are achievers, I think it's different. The, the expectation is it's not just checking the box, but it's getting the title. It's getting the raise. It's getting whatever it is. So I think the expectations when it comes to results or success are different in the minds of of the different generations potentially as a generalization there, because I would say the same thing for myself as a millennial. I had the expectation that if I do what I'm supposed to do, that there's a reward, right? That I should have a title or I should have something else. And part of that's how, what we've been taught. I am a part of the generation where everyone gets a trophy. And I think that the baby boomers and the Gen Xers fed into some of that and now are dealing with the consequences, unfortunately, of what that looks like. Yeah. And I think it, it creates a really challenging dynamic in the workplace because you have, first of all, you have just misaligned expectations around what it looks like to succeed. So you spoke to that. I've been in, I've been in work situations where I've promoted someone prematurely because they wanted it so badly. And then they've been really frustrated because they couldn't succeed in that role. They didn't have the skill set, and I didn't have the bandwidth as a leader to develop them fast enough or get them what they needed fast enough. And it didn't end well. There's also, I think sometimes leaders really with good intentions saying, you're not ready for this role to be successful. And so what can we do in the meantime to get you ready? But leaders need to be able to say, let's get you ready without it being a promise. Because I think that's where there's a lot of hesitation around, okay, I'm going to invest in you and here's the potential career path for you. I want you to be ready for the next opportunity, but that can't be seen as a promise that you are going to get the next opportunity. And that is really challenging. And I think that's absolutely what's happening. And if I can jump in here and come back to the first part of our conversation, talking about those athletes that are trained to get in a certain role, let's say be on a team, their training isn't just with the team or just in front of the coach. Their training is in their strength training. It's in their lifting outside of that. It's in their personal responsibility for getting themselves ready then for the coach to watch them, for them to be actually on the field. So that's very much what we also need to encourage for all of us. This has to be a part of our routine and even built into the culture that part of what I need to take responsibility for is my own training. Here's where the company meets you. Here's where your coach, leader, manager meets you. But then here's where you also commit to growing so that you can deliver on that outcome that your coach, your manager wants to see. 
I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And then it comes back to, are we clear in our expectations? So what are the requirements to get to that next level? And mm-hmm. how are we measuring those standards? And a lot of workplaces, we work with a lot of small owner-operated businesses, they haven't taken the time to really clarify roles, much less requirements for those roles, right? And so taking the time to define that is going to be key for that multi-generational workplace to succeed. It can't all just be in their head what their expectation is. I think I've personally experienced that in some roles where as a person in one role, what it takes to get to the next, and then you feel like you do that. And then it's like the person's, yeah, you are, you're doing great things yet it's not enough. And it's, what does it take? And if they can't articulate that, then it's very frustrating because I can't check the boxes, right? I can't say this is how it's supposed to be to get there because I think there's a lot of that gray area, that unknown when it comes to transitioning into different roles, especially in leadership. And I think some of that, actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen that because they aren't willing to have the hard conversation about the thing that really is holding that person back because they don't know how to handle it because they've never had to have that hard conversation before. But there's something that's probably holding them back from promoting that person. They've checked all the boxes and now they Mm -hmm. still don't want to. There's something that they're not being either honest with themselves about. I mean, I've been in cultures where it's a discrimination issue, right? Or they're not being honest with the employee, that person that they're developing. They're not being honest with them about what's holding them back. And I'm curious, Ashley, Where do you see that area that's holding them back being their level of emotional maturity? Do you see that being very common in millennials and and Gen X? And we're not going to be able to, on this podcast, fully cover this, but I just want to touch on it and also encourage listeners, we are going to be having a whole podcast on emotional maturity and how to psychologically and safely have that come into the workplace. Millennials and Gen X have received hard information instantly as opposed to boomers and Gen X. It took a while. We had time to process. Now, all of a sudden, the global world is my world unless I know how to differentiate. And again, this is a tool that I use in counseling all the time is that I am an individual. I can differentiate from what's happening in Ukraine or what's happening in another state, but I see it right away and it does impact me right away. Ashley, how can you encourage us to start to develop the emotionally mature leader in all generations? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that emotional maturity piece is something that we don't focus enough on and we really need to because you're right, especially with the younger generations, we have access. We see everything instantly and we aren't taking time to process what that means and how it's impacting us. And that's also how we've been coddled and raised and you just, you move on and you go forward and there's not an expectation that you have a certain maturity in that. And I see that with a lot of emerging leaders in these younger generations is that they're checking the box. So they think that they're ready for the next thing. So a good example for me anyway, is thinking about high school students who are taking college courses. And then by the time they get to college, they only have ultimately two years that they need to be in that college. They are not ready emotionally to take on the world at that point. And they think because they've checked the box of college that they are. And so we're finding that 
the things that they're bringing to the classroom, they're not ready for a lot of those experiences, even though they've taken college courses online during high school. And so that stresses me out because we're seeing more and more of it and parents are pushing more and more of that. But if the child or the young adult, the student isn't equipped emotionally and socially for that experience, then they're not going to be successful at any level, I don't think. So yeah, that emotional maturity, I'm not sure the best approach to it, but I think we need to stop pushing so much for people to grow up or be above and beyond where they are, meet them where they are, and then help them grow and develop within that rather than saying, oh, because you did X, you should be here because they're not. So good. So important. We could probably do a part three on that regarding the generations in particular. I think what you just brought up was fascinating just about what we're seeing with this accomplished performance culture. We live in a performance culture and in some ways what we're seeing isn't just a natural evolution of it, right? And now we're pushing people into into positions they can't handle emotionally because they've checked the box. At some point in the future, we will be doing a few podcast episodes on emotional maturity because it is so important. In fact, it's probably something you'll hear us talk about often moving forward because Pamela and I have recently just had a new understanding of this being the missing piece around leadership development, around emotional maturity. So we would love to have you back Dr. Ashley Lang to have that conversation. And we are thrilled that you've been listening to us today. If you have questions for Dr. Lang, if you have questions for us regarding this topic, if you have other scenarios regarding generations in the leadership and workplace that you'd like us to tackle, please send us an email, Tara at aligntransform.com. You will see resources in the show notes and we would love to hear from you. Come on.